I am excited about today. I've been excited about it all week long as I've been focusing on our Christmas series. Many of you know I've taken a break, a couple of breaks, to focus on Christmas and our Christmas series that I've entitled The Christmas Family Tree. Today we're going to talk about the Christmas love story. You're going to want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 1 and then also open it to Ruth, the book of Ruth. Where do you find Ruth? Ruth is right in the middle after Judges and 1 Samuel. So if you get the Judges, go one more, a few more pages over. If you go to 1 Samuel, go back the other direction. Um, you can open it up in your written Bible over on your phone app or your Kindle, however you want to do that. But I want you to look at the Word of God this morning for me. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture as we talk about the Christmas love story. Because how many of you know that there's only 13 days left till Christmas? All right, don't panic. Don't panic, all right? Um, but it's a great time to really talk about the Christmas family tree. Remember I mentioned this last week. There's a difference between the Christmas family tree and the family Christmas tree. I brought this to you last week. I'm going to just mention it to you again. On the family Christmas tree are lights. In the Christmas family tree are lives. On the family Christmas tree is holly. In the Christmas family tree is history. On the family Christmas tree are decorations. In the Christmas family tree are discoveries. And that Christmas family tree is found in Matthew chapter 1, where we discover the family tree that led up to that first Christmas day. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. You're there with me. Look at it. It'll also be on the wall behind me. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Matthew 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now those are some names you would expect to see in the family tree of Jesus, right? The son of Jesse and, and, uh, and David and so forth. But like your family tree and mine, if you really scratch really hard, I'm sure you will find some characters in your family tree that you may wonder, how in the world did they get connected to you? And even in the tree of Jesus, we wonder sometimes when we come across certain people, how did they get connected to Jesus? I mean, we talked about Rahab last week. Many of you know, all throughout Scripture, she was known as Rahab the harlot. And we talked about her new faith, and we talked about her fidelity. And then at the end, I brought to you her new family. And it's interesting to me, all throughout Scripture, she's known as Rahab the harlot. Until you read Matthew chapter 1, her name is only mentioned as Rahab. What a truth. When God comes into your life, a major transformation happens. You're no longer known as what you used to be. You're known from that day forward who God calls you to be. And uh, I'll just go on from there. But anyway, look at your word for me this morning. Because there are two women in the family tree of Jesus found on the fifth limb. We talked about Rahab. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. I want you to hear this. Without Rahab and Ruth, there would have never been Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Look at Matthew, verse 16. Matthew 1, verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. By the way, the word whom, that pronoun whom, is a feminine word. 
it is a reference to Mary, not Joseph. And I want to kind of clarify this. In other words, Jesus was not born of Joseph. He was born of Mary. All of the begots throughout history could never have produced the Son of God. All right? He was the only begotten Son of God. All right? These two women, Rahab and Ruth, are not only surprises in the tree, they are opposites. As I mentioned, if you looked at Rahab's life, like we talked about last week, she was known as Rahab the harlot. I mean, that was her, her name and that was her profession, her work, if you will. But then you go to this side of the family tree on the limb number five, and you have Ruth. Ruth is known throughout Scripture as a virtuous woman. Two opposing opposites. How many of you, if you think about your own family tree right now, you can kind of, oh man, yeah, that's uh, maybe not a harlot, but boy, they're kind of, uh, they're a little out there. And then this person, oh man, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. I, I'm going to stick to that side of the tree, you know. I'm going to be on that side. You know, God made, I want you to hear this principle, because when you look at these individuals, Rahab and Ruth, I want you to hear this principle because God settled this principle in my spirit this week and I believe it's for somebody. And I want you to hear this. You don't have to fit into a mold to be known by God or to be blessed by God or to be used by God. That's a spiritual principle I want you to grasp. So many people feel they've got to clean their life up even to begin to serve God. Or to become known by Him. How many of you know that that's just not true? God accepts you just the way you are for the purpose of who you are so He can transform you and put you on a path that He wants you on. And by the way, you don't have to do a certain a lot of, oh, do all these things and then I will bless you. That's not God's heart as well. Alright? So just, just understand that. Look, God has made you uniquely you. So would you please be you? Matter of fact, look to somebody, look to your neighbor and say, would you be you? All right. When you're not you, when you're not you, then you are missing. And I'm so thankful God made me different from my three brothers and two sisters, biologically speaking. I'm so grateful I'm not like them and they're not like me. We have some similarities. We have some genealogy issues in our life and all those things. But yet we're all different. We bring something else to the table that, that God has performed naturally into a household of faith. Just like He has done, is doing in you. All of you have something to bring to the table. If you will. You know, and some of you may be saying, well, you know what? I don't think God has a purpose for my life. I don't think God has a calling for my life. I don't think God wants me to do anything. How many of you know that that's, that's the lie from the enemy? Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says, For I know, this is God speaking, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You, speaking of us, will seek God and find God when we seek Him with all of our heart. 
That's the promise. So, just as Rahab's story was in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, we find Ruth's story in the Old Testament in the book of... Oh, some of you know the word. Ruth. You know? There wasn't a book of Rahab, so that's found in Joshua. We find this incredible story, and I call it the Christmas love story. It's a love story that you've never heard before. It's a love story that's wonderful in all of its um, phenomenal beginnings and trappings of the story. Matter of fact, you will never find this kind of story on the Hallmark Channel. This story is incredible. When you think of a love story, you think of boy meets girl, girl likes boy, and all of a sudden boy marries girl, and then what comes? The baby in a carriage, right? Well, in this same story, that's what happens. I invite you to turn with me to Book of Ruth, where we begin kind of the backstory, some understanding of how the Christmas story is taking place, this Christmas love story. And I want to, again, let you know, we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. In fact, we're going to go from Ruth chapter 1 all the way through Ruth chapter 4 this morning. So I hope you're there. I'm going to be reading some Scripture, and they're going to be making some spiritual principle application to us as we move along. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of their sons were Milan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Milan and Chilion also died, and the women was bereft of her two children and her husband. You say, probably right off the bat, this doesn't sound much like a love story, right? All the men die. I mean, well, only God can take, only God can take their hunger, their hurts, and their heartaches and turn them into a love story. And the interesting and the beauty part about this is, God still takes today our hurts, our hungers, our sorrows, and turns them into a love story of His grace. He really does. So here we find Naomi, who hears that there is food in Bethlehem, and they with, with her two daughters-in-law, they basically begin the trek back to Bethlehem for survival, if you will. Back then, you have to remember, one of the security blankets for women was a husband. Husbands provided that security. Now, when they travel, they begin to travel ways, and all of a sudden, we come to Ruth chapter 1, verse 8, and you look at this, and you begin to hear the story. Go return, each of you, to your mother's house. This is Naomi telling her daughter-in-laws, Opah and Ruth. Go return. In other words, she was at this point. She couldn't help them. She couldn't provide for them. Sending them back home to where they came from. All right? 
May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. In other words, may the Lord deal kindly with you because you supported me in my grief. And you supported us through this time of your husband's passing, my husband's passing. I pray and release you in blessing. Now notice verse 14, because after discussing all this with her daughter-in-laws, notice what verse 14 says. They lifted up their voices and wept again. Why? Because a mother-in-law was sending them on. There was possibly that break in relationship. Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, kissed her mother-in-law. In other words, thank you, love you, I'm leaving. Notice what happens. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth 1.18, you're there with me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. In other words, all right, we're on the journey together. That's the back story. What I want to do this morning is present an incredible Christmas love story. And I'm going to break it down in four scenes for us. So it's like a play or a movie that you would watch. Scene one is this. And you'll see this in Ruth chapter 1 verse 19. Her arrival into Bethlehem. So they both, Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived, they created quite a stir in Bethlehem. Notice the continuation of verse 19. And when they came to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? In other words, the women standing around, is this Naomi? Why was there such a stir? Well, you have to understand, there was... Everybody was excited. Not too many people came. I mean, this was a place that people came periodically. And when new people came in, everybody was excited, right? That was what was taking place. Plus, you have to understand, a new face, a new personality, and for the men in the town, a new possibility. For the women, a threat. Ruth 1, verse 22. Isn't it interesting when you read Scripture? Because some of you are like, is that really in the Bible? Do, is that really true? Was that a threat? Absolutely. In fact, I'm really pressing upon my spirit about doing a sermon series on the Song of Solomon. Oh. I may have to pull all the married couples away for that one. I'll let you settle that in for a moment, okay? Ruth, verse 22, chapter 1. Look at this. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I want you to notice something. It was no accident that Ruth arrived at Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And when I dwelt on that, I was, I was taken to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. You don't need to turn there. You can just kind of write it as a reference and then look at it here on the wall. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Do you know what the fullness of time means? Grasp this. It means right on time. Just as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right on time, Ruth arrived at Bethlehem right on time. Here's the principle that you don't want to miss. Our God is the right on time God. In your life today, I want you just to, in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, say, God, I have a situation and I know you're the right on time God in my moments. And God's going to appear to you just as he is directing Ruth and Naomi's steps. We see all of a sudden her arrival. I want you to go to scene two, which we pick up scene two in Ruth chapter two, her appeal. Ruth chapter two, verses one through six. Look at this with me. Now, Naomi and, and it had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. Let me go after those who have come through. Let me just pick up the crumbs so we can survive. That's kind of what it was. And she said to her, Naomi said to Ruth, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz who was at the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came, to, came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. That was a common greeting back then, by the way. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Now, the reason why I paused on that verse 3 there, I, I can almost hear the sarcasm in that person saying that. I mean, she just happened to come to the field that Boaz has. To the part of the field that Boaz She just happened to come. I want you to understand something because she happened to come there, all right. But I want you to understand this. She was there by divine appointment. At the, listen to this. At the edge of the field, the free will of man met the sovereignty of God. Did you hear what I said? At the edge of the field, the free will of man met the sovereignty of God. Write this, this passage down. Because look at this, Proverbs 16.9. A man's heart plans his way. That's the free will of man. But the Lord directs his steps. That's the sovereignty of God. Amen. Proverbs twenty twenty four. A man's steps are the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? You want a spiritual principle for your life this morning? Here it is. When we find ourselves living in the shadows where we can't see things clearly, there is no need to fear because God is with us. Amen. Remember several years ago, I might have shared this story before. It was the opportunity time when Jody and I were beginning our, 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 our kind of 
step into ministry and, and applying for credentialing through the Assemblies of God. And some of you know the story. I'm going to try to make it short, but here is this moment. Man's planning the way, the free will of man. We know what we were called to do. We know that we were called to further in the Assemblies of God. And then it had to meet the sovereignty purpose of God, if you will. And as we took the step forward to become credentialing, which is testing and, and all those kinds of things, I was told at that time, going through the interview process from the very get-go, that I will never become credentialed in the Assemblies of God in Northern Missouri District. By the way, that was by our district superintendent of the time, not Ray Brewer, but several years back, plus eight other guys sitting around the table. I looked across the table with Jody there beside me, and I looked across the table and I said, I called him by his name, but district superintendent, I highly respect your call and your position, but it's not you that called me. It is God that called me, and God will perform what he's called me to do. Jody and I dismissed our time. And honestly, there was a moment in the season where we just fasted and prayed. Jody took the names of these individuals. She printed them up and put them on a refrigerator because we visited that area often. So we we put it up on a refrigerator. We placed it in our Bibles because we visit that area often. And every single day of our lives, we prayed for those individuals. We prayed because we knew we were going to be back in their arms in that room again. And the Lord, in the midst of a night, gave me an incredible dream. And I, listen, when dreams happen, by the way, we're going to see a lot more dreams fulfilled. Your dreams will be fulfilled. I believe that. And in the midst of that, God gave me an incredible dream. Jody and I at the time, we had a gray sable. We were in the car. This was the dream. I was in the car. We were driving down the road. And in the car, we were just going straight. And all of a sudden, we were like in mountains. Big boulders were dropping in front of us in this dream. And we were in the car. She was on my right. I was driving. And every time we came to a big boulder that was getting ready to smash our car, it would just disappear be gone just like that. We were driving down the road and all of a sudden it would go. It would just go. It would just go. It would just go. And I woke up going, Lord, what does that mean? He didn't tell me. (laughs) He didn't. I got up out of bed. I went to the living room. I I grabbed the Bible and I said, Lord, what does this mean? I know it's a word from you. What does it mean? And he didn't tell me. I went back to bed. I said, well, if you're not going to talk to me, I'm going back to bed. I did. I went back to bed. I slept like a baby. Woke up the next morning. I said, honey, I've got to tell you this dream. I told her the dream. The Lord used my wife, Jody to interpret the dream. And it was just spot on. And we knew it was a message about what we were, what we were up against. We waited about six months. We were back in front of those same individuals interviewing me again. And Jody. And we stood after they prayed over us. We left. The district superintendent came out. He didn't have a smile on his face. But he shook our hand. And he said, you will be credentialed this year. I say that for a lot of reasons. By the way, that superintendent today, he's still pastoring a church. And whenever we see each other, he embraces me with a hug. God, I mean, through God's grace and mercy and through the presence of God, won him over to God's divine plan. I come back to this. I say that story because I want you to hear this. 
when you find yourself living in the shadows where you can't see things clearly, there is no need to fear because God is with you. Ruth is a prime example of this. Look again at verses 3 through 6, Ruth chapter 2. She happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to this servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Look at verse 14 as I move along. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here. Don't cause any electricians. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So Ruth sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When I read that, I immediately began to think, what an incredible, that's, that's got to be the worst pickup line a man has ever said to a girl. <laughs> Boaz sitting there saying, hey, Ruth, come, come over here and sit beside me and dip your bread in the vinegar. That takes breaking bread to a whole new level, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine that scene? It's there. Now look at verse 19. Ruth chapter 2. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she, Ruth, told Naomi, her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Scene 3, her approach. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Scene 3, her approach. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Notice that. Naomi, the mother-in-law, seeking security. She understands for Ruth to be secure, there really needs to be a man. Now, is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And she said, Ruth said to her, all that you say I will do. Don't miss this thought. Here is an older woman 
mentoring a younger woman on how to catch a man. I don't, you see, Scripture is fun, isn't it? Now, by the way, don't read anything immoral in that. There was nothing immoral that was taking place there. That was part of their custom, by the way. This was part of their custom. It was her way to Boaz. Basically saying, I claim you as my Redeemer. Look at Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. After Ruth followed instructions from Naomi, we hear Boaz say this. Look at this, verse 12 and 13. Now it is true, I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. In other words, um, try to illustrate the best way I can. I'm Boaz, I am a close relative to you, Ruth, but there's somebody that's closer than me to you. In relative. Alright? Remain this night, Boaz saying, remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you. If the closer relative redeems you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. Now, before moving to the last scene in our story. I, I want you to really grasp hold of this verse, verse 12. Now it is true, I am close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Those of you who are looking at the King James Version, if you read the King James Version, you would see the word close relative re- referred to as near kinsman. Those of you who may have other scriptural versions, like the Holman Bible translation refers close relative as a family redeemer. And by the way, the English Standard Version, which is closer to a word-for-word translation, just like the New American Standard Version says, translates the close relative as a redeemer. Meaning, the Hebrew word here is ga'al. Meaning, to redeem, to ransom, to deliver, to release. The main idea of the word is to buy something back. It could be used in a sense of a a farm or a field. In those days, if you had lost your property by means of poverty, a kinsman redeemer could redeem that property and redeem you back to society, if you will. Now, I want you to think about this. There were three requirements for a kinsman redeemer. First, he had to be a near kin. Alright? Boaz met that requirement. Second, he had to be able to pay the price. We read in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 that Boaz was a man of great wealth. Boaz was able to pay the price. Also, the third requirement was that the Redeemer had to be willing to pay the price. And we read in Ruth 3, verse 13, that Boaz was willing to redeem her. He was willing to perform the duty. He was willing to pay the price. Boaz met 
all the requirements as the kinsman redeemer. He was a near kinsman. He was able to pay the price. And he was willing to pay the price. Boaz met the conditions and Ruth went down to the threshing floor and claimed him as her kinsman redeemer. Now, with that in mind, we move to scene number four, which is found in chapter four. Scene four of our Christmas love story, her arrangement. The first part of chapter four basically speaks of Boaz, who goes to the city officials and told the whole story of Naomi and Ruth and so forth and how they sold her husband's property and found themselves where they are and they needed somebody to redeem their property and everything that went with that property. And Boaz was making the case, if you will, somebody needs to do this. And you read in verse 5 of chapter 4, Boaz speaking to the close relative. All right? Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, You must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased of his inheritance. Notice this. Keep reading verse 6. The closer kinsman said, I cannot redeem it. Verse 8. The close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. Verses 9 and 10. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, Naomi's husband, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. That's their sons. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Verse 13, notice this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now look up here for one moment. I'm getting ready to wrap this up. There in the village of Bethlehem, was a kinsman redeemer that paid the price to redeem young Ruth. And that young Moabitess named Ruth ended up on the fifth limb of the family Christmas tree of Jesus. It was that same village 2,000 years ago was born the kinsman Redeemer, the Savior who came to redeem mankind. And by the way, yes, He was able to redeem us. And yes, He was willing to redeem us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, 
to redeem us from every lawless deed. Notice this. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good works. The kinsman redeemer was able to redeem us. Willing to redeem us by going to the cross for each and every one of us. On the fifth limb of Jesus' family tree, you have Rahab, known as the harlot, and you have Ruth, a virtuous woman. Did you catch, though, for Ruth to really, for Ruth to really receive Boaz, she had to claim Boaz for herself. Did you see that? Jesus was willing and able to redeem us. What's our part? We have to receive and claim Him. He was willing. He was able. But we have to claim Him and receive Him. Jesus, this is not about me, Lord. This is not about my family tree personally. It's about you, Lord. Lord, in the midst of this day, in the midst of this moment, this time, you are here. You're here to bless, you're here to touch, you're here to minister. Lord, you're a good, good father. And just as I said that, church, I want you to, every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment. Just as I said that phrase, you're a good, good father, the Lord quickened my spirit. And stay with me for a few moments as I just describe the, the sense that I got. Somebody walked in here today. And at one point in time in your life, you knew Him as Savior, as Lord. But you chose to walk away. It was your choice. You walked away. You kind of, if you will, gave up on the journey that the Lord has for you. But all of a sudden, as I said that phrase, that He's a good, good Father. We sung that earlier in our service. He's a good, good Father. There was something that was quickened within me, that individual, or maybe a couple of individuals here today, that something was quickened into your heart, your spirit, and you need to once again respond to Him. You chose to walk away. He never left the spot where you left Him. In fact, He's waiting. He's waiting with His arms open wide for you. And He's asking you today, Hey, I was willing, I was able to redeem you. Would you, just like Ruth did, would you claim me? Would you accept me again? 
you're here this morning and that may resonate within your heart, your spirit. Honestly, I believe that that was for at least one this morning, maybe two. Every head bowed and every eye closed, you would just be so courageous, so willing, right where you are, right where you're sitting. Just to lift up your hand right where you are and say, Les, Pastor, that was me. I know I walked away, but I want to return. I sense His presence this morning. I sense that He he longs for me to come. Once again, as I'm looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Is there somebody else this morning? Don't want to rush this moment. You're here. Is there anybody else? Everyone stand with me for one moment as I pray. And I'm going to ask that all of you would just repeat this prayer after me. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, I come. Just as I am. I recognize my sin and my failure. And I repent of that. I thank you, Lord, that once again, you receive me just as I am. And I thank you, Lord, that you have waited for me. And I am running to you with my arms open wide to embrace you as my Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, that you placed within me the gift of the Holy Spirit to live an overcoming life. And I ask today that you would receive me again as your son or your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you leave, I just want us to sing this chorus again. He's a good, good father. I want you to have this in your mind. Listen, Jesus, the kinsman redeemer, born 2,000 years ago, was more than willing and able to pay, to redeem us back, to bring us back to redeem us, to change us, to transform our lives. And in that response, we can honestly sing and say, He's a good, good Father. Would you take a moment and sing that and just worship the Lord? Would you do that this morning? Sure.